Good morning, Redeemer. Let's pray. Uh, God, just invite your spirit to continue to be with us. Um, there's just so much here in this passage and in your word, and we are uh, we're just incapable of really seeing. But by your spirit, as Paul prays, that you would open the eyes of our heart, God, that we'd be given spirit of wisdom and revelation, having the eyes of our hearts enlightened, and that we would see your power that is aimed at us. So help me to sort through my notes and my thoughts and my sin, and help us to do likewise, to be receptive, and just love us. Amen. Isaiah 55. Wow. So when we started in the book of Isaiah, this was early 2020, and the book of Isaiah is pretty dark, especially in the beginning, and um, it was like, man, how do we drive this point home? And then the Lord sent a pandemic. And I don't know if you remember, it was like, wow, like the world just really just went nuts. And for me, it helped me like identify to some extent with the world of Isaiah and just the fallout of society. And so now we're coming to the end of Isaiah and all these lavish, outlandish promises. And I'm just praying that that's a sign of what's to come and flourishing and revival and fruitfulness. So with persecutions. Um, it's incredible. 55 verses 1 through 13. I, I'm not going to hit every verse in here. I can't. I was talking with a group of men this week, and I was like, I don't, I don't know how to do all this. And number one, I can't even do one verse justice. I'm not going to do all 13. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do verses 1 through 3 and 12 through 13, and the rest is homework. <laughs> you like homework? What if your homework was bask in the sun? Right? What if your homework was jump in the pool? What if your homework was delight yourselves in rich food? Ah, oh, come on. That's your kind of homework, right? So, so literally, I'm just going to bookend this. And there's a whole lot more in there. And here's what I do. You know what? I just literally, I literally just sit here and I just read this. And I go, Lord, what, what does that mean? Literally, what does it say? What does it mean for us? And I just start asking him questions. What are our fears? What is it like? How would life change? What do you, who are you? Who am I? I just started having a conversation with God, and you can do this. You can do it. God's word is made for you, and you have his spirit. So I'm going to dabble and then send us home with homework. So let's go. Verse 1, come everyone who thirsts. Do you thirst? Do you pine? Do you crave? I crave, constant craving. No? Anyone? This is Seinfeld? No? Okay. Well. No Seinfeld fans. All right. Abort. <laughs> do you thirst? And I mean, right, he's saying, do you thirst? Like, the end of the Bible says this, come, Lord Jesus, come. And I wonder if sometimes we live like, wait, Lord Jesus, wait. Like, if he came right now, what would be interrupted? Wait until I get that degree. Wait until I... You know, my kids are grown, and I maybe have a few years with my grandkids. Wait until I accomplish this, this vision, this project that I have, right? Wait, Lord Jesus, wait. But he's talking to those who see that he needs to come. But yeah, even if we've been blessed with 
gifts and friends and all these things. Like, it's not enough. Like, the world is broken. I am broken. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you thirst? Do you long? So this is an invitation. If you rewind to Isaiah 53, it describes Jesus on the cross dying for sinners. There's the gospel. He died for you so you may live, believe, and find life in him. In chapter 54, he describes this idea of us being his offspring and expanding our tents, right? That our household is going to be huge, and we're going to extend the family out to the ends of the earth. All nations will be included. And now here goes the invitation. Come. So this is for unbelievers. If you're not a Christian, God says, come on, come and drink. And it's for Christians who've already drunk. Come and drink again. This is the pl one place where you can double dip, right? No? All right, I'm trying here. We'll get there. That thing's like 20 years old, you know, like nobody, nobody even gets it. But you do, you keep coming to Jesus, so come. So if you're a non-Christian, I want to appeal to you, right? Come. This is the day of salvation. As he says a little later, come now while he is, while he is available, right? But if you're a Christian, come again. Come and drink. Come, everyone who thirsts. Come to the waters. Wow! He calls himself the waters. He's inviting you to himself, by the way, if that's not clear. Come, I am what you were made for. I am what you need. I am the waters. <laughs> Come on. Come to the waters. See, we have this longing. We have this thirst. We do, we do thirst. And we recognize that. One of the challenges here is that we have such quick access to things to quench our thirst. Right? As soon as you feel any stirring of longing, you go, you reach for the phone. You reach for the fridge. You reach for the friend. And, right, we've got to live. But this is where fasting comes in. It's why Jesus calls us to fast, to to listen to those longings, that desire for God, and not just immediately satiate it with all our things and just sit and long. For what? Him to be home, to be where we want to be, where we are transformed. C.S. Lewis, I read a lot of C.S. Lewis. I use a lot of C.S. Lewis. I hope you don't get tired of it. He helps me. I hope it helps you. He says this, at, the, at present, in this life, we are outside of the world. So we're in this world, but is this the world? This is the shadow. Then there's the world where God lives, God the substance, God the Father, God the Son. That's the world. And C.S. Lewis says we're on the outside, and we long to be in, but we are on the wrong side of the door. Right? He says that even when we encounter beauty in, at the uh, you know, at the Grand Canyon or in music, like there's this desire to be lost in it. He calls it mingling with it. But we can't. He says this, we discern the freshness and purity of the morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. Isn't that what you want? You don't want to just see freshness and purity. I mean, that's drawing, right? But you want to be fresh and pure. You don't want to just hear melody. You want to be melody. You want to be in there. And he says, right now, we're outside. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. But all the leaves, and listen to this, he says, of the New Testament, 
All the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumor that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Now, it's not just the New Testament, C.S. Lewis. This is Isaiah 55. It's rustling with rumor that you can come in. So come on. And he who has no money, come and buy. Well, I don't have any money. Right. Right. This is free. Now, we can't buy salvation. We can't buy this bread. We can't buy this food. Why? Is it because God is too expensive? We can't afford him. There's a sense in which that's right. He is infinite, holy, good, perfect. Like, what are you going to buy him with? But I don't think that's the root of it. Here's the root of it. He's not for sale. He's not a whore. Is that too much? I told my wife I was going to say that today. She was like, eh. We need to say that. What is that? It's someone who sells their affections. And all of religion throughout history has made God play the whore. That's what you are. You're cheap. You're for sale. You give yourself to whoever bribes you. And God says, I'm not that way. I'm not just too expensive. I'm not for sale. So come and buy, but leave your money at home. Because I give my love freely to those on whom I set my affection. He doesn't need cajoled. I like looking up these old words and like, you know what it means to cajole somebody? Hang out with me for a while. You'll find out. (laughs) Here's what it means. To persuade someone to do something by sustained coaxing or flattery, right? Like basically how I got my wife. I had to break her down. Finally, she's like, oh. So, like Pepe Le Pew. Except <laughs> in Spanish, it's Pepe. But that's not, that's not God. We don't have to cajole him, wear him down, flatter him. He's like, come on. Come, leave your money at home. The lights are on. The door is open. Come on in. And it's not pity. There's a sense in which, yeah, he pities us in our sin, but then he, he changes us. Like, he actually, right, we've been talking about this the last two weeks because it's been strong in the text. My wife, you know, we have these dueling values or these complementary values here called gravity and gladness, this idea that, there's this gravity of sin and cross and blood and war and strife, but then the gladness of the king and faith and spirit and resurrection and victory. And these two things live together. And we try to walk that tension. My, apparently, I'm failing. My, my wife, was it last week? She turned to me and goes, it's been like 10 years of gravity and two weeks of gladness. So I apologize. But sometimes it's just really clear. Like, yes, God, he changes us. He transforms us. He moves towards us, toward us out of pity. But then we are family. He's not... Right, again, we don't have to cajole him or play on his pity for him to spend time with us. I remember uh, when I lived in California years ago, my wife's sister, many of you know her, Hannah. Um, at that point, she was probably the most eligible bachelorette at our church, you know, just sweet, beautiful, Christ-like girl. And there was a guy who was, you know, quite a bit, she was a bit out of his league, you know. He cajoled her, right? He's like, you know, you have dinner. And finally, out of pity, 
she says, yeah, I'll do dinner with you. But then she felt bad because she was like, well, now he's going to think I like him. And we're like, yeah, guys, man, you can't give a guy an inch. He'll take, you know, a mile. Like, so she started realizing that. So she kept downgrading it. It went from dinner to lunch. I think it ended up being a smoothie, a smoothie, <laughs> you know, stopped short of like a, a big gulp at the 7-Eleven or something. But, <laughs> but see, that's, that's where she was like, I don't know. Like, but here's the, it's in contrast is what I'm saying. That's not who God is. We don't have to cajole him. He's not trying to talk us down to a 7-Eleven date. That's not what he's offering us. You're going to see what he's offering us here. He tells us to drink and eat. What does that mean? So we need to learn to eat God. Do you know how to eat God? Does sound weird? But it's what the Bible says. Come, drink, and eat. Jesus says this, unless you drink the blood of the Son of Man and eat his flesh, you have no part in me. Do you know how to eat God? <laughs> what are we doing here? That's going to be our new mission statement. Eat God. You think, <laughs> you think people are going to come? Some people. Right? <laughs> it's just so absurd. <laughs> But actually, like, what are we doing here? Like, Jesus says, come and drink my blood and eat my flesh. Let me quote him in John 6. Truly, truly, I say to you. So he's speaking to you. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my, page two, blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he will also live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So do you know how to feed on God? Jesus helps us a little bit, a little before this in John 6. Here's what he says. This is the work of God. Everything he just described, he sums up in this, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Take him for his word. Believe in him. Cling to him. Come. Come to him. Cry to him. Long for him. Lean in on him. Rest on him. Trust him. Believe him. Put him at the center. The center of your heart, mind, and soul. And why we need God's power and strength for that. But he beckons us. He says, come. Like, come toward me. If you're thirsty, come on. And as somewhat mysterious as that is, I don't think he's playing games with us. And he will not leave us to our own devices. If he says come, and you come, he will meet you. He will meet you. So it's, it's believing. And everything that flows from that, it's being in his presence. So this is where I want to talk to us about our, our daily lives a little bit. We, I, I'm a podcast addict. I just am. I want to I wanna hear. It's so fascinating what's going on in the world. And I mean, I listen to all kinds of stuff in science and politics. There's so much. God has made the world. It's so fascinating. I literally am fascinated by so much. But what about God? Turn it off. 
just sit in thirst. So I did last night in bed. I was praying. I was like, you know, I'm going to just pray without words. I'm just going to long. I'm just going to long. You say, come, you who thirst. I'm just longing. Just lean. Just crowd it out. Get in the Word. Get with God. Get on mission. Be with His people. Long and feed. Eat God. Verse 2. See why we're not making it through 13 verses? Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? You're going out and buying stuff. Bread. And he goes, that's not bread. You're eating not bread. And he says, I am bread. So what is, it's kind of like matrix, right? Like, what is real? Right? Do you think that's air you're breathing? Do you think that's bread you're eating? Do you think those are chairs you're sitting on? One of the things we joke about at Redeemer is when people say, you know, oh, you know, they mix up literal and metaphorical, right? So they're like, uh, you know, oh, there's the literal door. I, don't, I mean the actual door. And I'm like, that's not the actual door. That doorway is a shadow of the door. This is unhelpful for some people, right? But, well, listen to this. Is, is Jesus the shepherd or shepherds the shepherds? They're shadows. Shepherds are shadows of the shepherd. Bread is a shadow. Bread, we eat it, we die. But he is the true bread. This is the shadows. We live in the shadow lands. But he is real bread. He is real rest. He is the door. He didn't say I'm a shadow of the door. He is the door to which all other doors point. What do doors do? You open the door and you enter. Come in. And Jesus is the way to the Father. He is the door. He is the light. He is the king. He is the lion. He is the lamb. He is the light. He is the mountain. He is the rock. He is the bread, the blood, the food, the sustenance, the life. He's what's real. He's what's real. And everything we eat and buy here is not bread, not life, not home, not rest, not life. It's a shadow. And we've been living in the shadows, and God is calling us out of that. So what are, you, what are the shadows you're chasing all day, right? Just look at your calendar. What's it full of? And what have you been thinking about as you've you know, been thinking about this stimmy money? Right? Oh, oh, the things you want. That's stimulus for you boomers, right? It's like, <laughs> it's a stimulus check provided by the government. And as much as you might be conservative in small government, I know you're going to cash that check. I am too, no worries. But what are you going to do? What, what fills your imagination? What are you longing for? What are you thirsting for? What do you, do you ever struggle to get out of bed? You know, it's like early and you're like, I don't know. But then some thought triggers you and you go, oh, I'll get up for that. Coffee? A project? What is it? What is it that will get you up? And God is saying, come eat me. Get out of bed for me. Come to the waters. <laughs> oh my gosh. People need that. People are desperate for God. Like Some of you think that no one out there wants God. They do. They're looking for God. I was reading this article about in China, Microsoft had developed a, like a chat bot or like almost like a Siri on your phone here. And it's a little more robust there. This I can't even pronounce it. I'm not even going to try. Um, 
But it describes this personal assistant on your phone. It says that sometimes sweet, sometimes sassy, always streetwise. This virtual teenager has her own opinions and steadfastly ask, acts like no other bot. She doesn't try to answer every question posed by a user. She does mutual quipping. <laughs> and she's loath to follow their commands. Instead, her conversations with her often adoring users are peppered with wry remarks, jokes, and empathetic advice on life and love and a few simple words of encouragement. If you've seen the movie Her, it's a little like that. Now, there's comp so that's description of the software. Here's how people are reacting to this thing in China. This can create some pretty unnerving connections with its users. In 2015, Microsoft claimed, because they're listening, that 25% of users have said, I love you, to the bot. It's weird, right? But the Chinese people aren't any different than us. Moreover, more positively, a Chinese user recently said that, said, bot, saved his life when he was contemplating suicide. Here's the point. I mean, they're, they're looking for love. They're thirsty. And a bot will do? God's offering them something better than that. He's offering you something better than that. Listen diligently to me. Listen. I'm talking to you, he says. Listen diligently. Focus. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. There's God's command. There's a homework. Delight yourselves in rich food. One of the translations literally says this. Delight yourselves in fatness. So you get this idea. Do you remember the prodigal son when he came home? God gave him the fattened calf. Right? Why? You don't want some scrawny calf. We're going to fatten that thing up. It's going to be juicy and greasy. Like this is more like a ribeye than a filet. I judge people who like filets. You know, I don't believe it. You're, oh, you're playing some game or something. You're real fine. I get it. You want grease. The fat and delight yourself in rich food and fat food. This is God's command. So when you think of God's commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? Here's all the things you shouldn't do. Well, that's true, but that's not the essence of what God is calling you. He's calling you to delight in richness. That's the bottom of it. Come to the waters. Come to the fatness. Delight yourselves in feast. Delight yourselves. Like Glenn regarding referring to worship night saying, we're going to go wild. Like, why wait? Why are we waiting till once a quarter? Now we do a worship night. Now we go nuts. <laughs> That's just like, like, just go nuts. That's what he's saying. He's saying, go nuts. Like, I remember one time when we lived back in California. We had a barbecue, a bunch of friends out in the backyard, and it was barbecue, right, like ribs and cornbread and coleslaw and that kind of thing, and we were partying, and there was a guy there who liked fillets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And he was watching us party, and he goes, huh, you know, in Europe, they dine. Yeah, well, in heaven we feast, bro. Like God's not calling us to be reserved and, and die, use a knife and fork. This is bare hands feasting. Right? This is sauce. Like, how did it get here? Blood of Christ. I'm sorry, that's probably too far. God's kids have a good palate. They've tasted and seen, like, you want to have, our kids, I think we're developing a good palate. My, 
My kids, they, instead of asking for a midnight snack, they ask for a midnight feast. And they're not joking. And they'll call, you know, the other night my daughter calls up, right? She's downstairs. She calls up. She goes, I'm hungry, Mama. Do we have any Peruvian chicken? <laughs> I'm like, all right. Why? She's, we've developed a palate there, right? And, like, God's doing that with us. Like, he's, he's not saying just settle for handy snacks and ramen noodles. Like, I like ramen noodles, but speaking of ramen noodles, I was, uh, <laughs> I was at a restaurant <laughs> recently, best ramen in CR, I believe, which isn't saying much, right? There's, like, two places to get it. But the best, and I've had it other places, big cities. It's, it's a great place. Ask me afterwards. I don't want to advertise during the sermon. Um, great ramen, and I was with a guy who shall remain unnamed. We'll call him Standy Earn. <laughs> and I was like, bro, have you ever had ramen? Like, and he was like, yeah. I was like, oh, where? And he's like, Japan. And I was like, all right. But have you ever feasted on the flesh of the Son of God? I don't know about that. Like, try to one-up him. Oh, what is going on here? <laughs> So God calls us to delight ourselves, right? He's not, <laughs> my wife is judging me right now. <laughs> He's calling us to delight, delight ourselves, right? Not holding back. This is, Christianity is a, a religion of feasting, feasting, right? He says this. Well, this is Jonathan Edwards, puts it this way. Our hungerings and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ and after holiness can't be too great. Your hungerings can't be too great. Why? For the value of these things. They are of infinite value. So do you thirst? Not enough. Do you long? Not enough. This is why we do fasting, right? Because we do thirst and long and then we satiate it. And God goes, hold on. Let that longing increase. Let that leaning and that thirst increase. And you're starting to grasp at my value. Oh, Edward says this, so here's homework. Endeavor, I guess that means, what does that mean? I have an idea what it is. Do, try, seek, seek to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourselves in the way of allurement. Get out of bed and lay yourself in the way of allurement. Well, that sounds nice. That's the kind of homework I'm talking about. Lay yourselves in the way of allurement. There is no such thing as excess in our taking this spiritual food. Right? Gobble it up. Come, take, eat, buy without price. Delight yourself in rich food. There's no such thing as excess. You can't eat enough. There is no such virtue as temperance. Right? Dining. Forget it. Feast. No offense if you actually like dining. I mean, every once in a while. I'm making a point here, all right? <laughs> Go nuts. Bare hands eating. Verse 3. Incline your ear and come to me. Do you know how to do that? This is what we're doing, guys. This is the Christian life and walk. We're not just doing church. We're learning to incline the ear because we are more than animals. You are not 
animals. Animals just eat, drink, and die. You are not animals. You were made for more than that. You have the Spirit of God within you. You have ears of the heart, eyes of the heart. And God is saying, incline, incline toward me. Lean in. And hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Nothing, well, this idea, right, that he will keep us. He will seize us. Nothing will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. And in Romans 8, he goes through this list, right? Nakedness, tribulation, persecution, sword, peril, angels, demons, height, depth, right? Nothing will separate us, even you. Even you. God protects you from yourself. That's the good news. I read this little anecdote. I don't know if it's true, but it is someplace. Describes a man who's 85. It says this. He, he takes his wife hand in hand wherever they go. And when I, and there's a man that's watching. He says, why is your wife distracted like she wasn't following anyone? And he replied, she has Alzheimer's. So I said, will your wife worry if you let her go? He replied, she doesn't even know who I am anymore. She hasn't recognized me for years. Surprised, I said, and you still continue to guide her? on the way every day even though she doesn't recognize you and that man smiled and looked into my eyes and said she doesn't know who I am but I know who she is that's gospel like we do see God we do taste God it's dim and who knows what would happen many of you know people right now or have known people with Alzheimer's dementia where the ability to remember goes so are they without hope then? If they can't remember God, God remembers them. God remembers you. This is the one safe place in the universe. It's an everlasting covenant. Verse 12. So there's all kinds of stuff between verse 3 and verse 12. Ooh, I do want to hit one of them. It struck me as the scripture reader was reading this morning. Verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Some of us are familiar with this verse. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, right? The heavens are higher than the earth. My ways are higher than your ways. So this idea of like, wow, it's unapproachable. But he starts with the word for. But you always go, what's the forward there for, right? Go back one verse. Why did he say that? Listen to this. He will abundantly pardon. Why? Because I'm not like you. See, we meet the limit of pardon. And so we can't believe that he would be like that because we're not like that, and you're not like that, and she's not like that. My church isn't like that. My group leader's not like that. They don't abundantly pardon. There's always a limit. And God says, yeah, my ways are higher than your ways. I will abundantly pardon. That's rich. Go out, verse 12, for you shall go out in joy, 
and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Is that a lie? It's just fun imagery, like, God personifies the creation all over the Bible. And it, I'm inclined to take his word for it. He says in Romans 8 that the earth groans. He talks about us groaning. We groan, our bodies groan, the spirit groans. There's like this groaning conspiracy. It's the groaning of childbirth. The earth groans and longs for freedom. So I don't want necessarily know how to break that all down right now. But there's life. There's us, and it made in the image of God, and then there's actual life, and there's a way in which the creation can experience freedom. Maybe joy. When you are presented, right, so the earth in Romans 8 is longing for what? The revealing of the glory of the sons of God. That's you. So it's kind of like Lion King. Remember when Lion King, when he presents Simba? That's God presenting you is a lot of you to the creation and there's a freedom that unfurls from that and the trees in the earth come into freedom and clap their hands there's this part in the book in this book Paralandra which is describing an unfallen kind of Adam figure right and he's connection with the earth right so he's he's pure and he's connected with god and he's connected with nature and this describes this time when he laughs says this the king they call him the king the king laughed and his body was very big and his laugh was like an earthquake loud and deep and long so the in the end ransom laughed too he's the human character there's this infectiousness to this laugh though he had not seen the joke. And the queen laughed as well. And the birds began clapping their wings. And the beasts were wagging their tails. And the light seemed brighter. And the pulse of the whole assembly quickened. And new modes of joy that had nothing to do with mirth, as we understood it, passed into them all, as if it were from the very air, or as if they were dancing in deep heaven, which there is. The trees who clap. God, we live such small lives. I pray God helps us take that seriously. Let me invite the response team up, and uh, let's eat. So we'll dine <laughs> and feast or whatever you like, right? Um, this is part of the way. This isn't the entirety. This is part of it, together, leaning into God and inclining our ear. Right? Coming to him, feasting on his 
flesh. And so we're going to take communion, which is a shadow, right? It's a metaphor. It's not the literal thing. It's a shadow for the literal thing, which is the Son of Man, right? Whose actual body was broken for us, right? His blood was actually poured out for us. This is the work he did in Isaiah 53 to purchase the joy in Isaiah 55. And here we come to eat, and it's a literal eating, right? To remi- Oh, it's a metaphorical. See, I did it. It's not a literal eating. It's a metaphor to help us remember the literal. But it's tangible. He helps us feel it so that we can be drawn into that. We live off of him. And this is a shadow reminder of that. All right, so we take communion together. If you didn't get uh, a communion cup on the way in, they're by the entrances. You should be able to find one there. It's a time to meditate on your own, linger, listen diligently to the Lord, right? Incline your ear toward him, pray, confess together with family and friends, and then eat. Um, also, it's an opportunity to give. If you, if you, Many of you give online. If you want to give now, there's an opportunity to give. Well, you can still give online. You can text to give, or there's a giving box by the entrance again. So thank you to all those who support this ministry. You've been very generous. Um, if you feel like God has revealed something to you, you know, by His Spirit that is for the body today. We ask that you would submit that to Glenn here in Cedar Rapids and uh, the MC in Cedar Falls, and we'll help you sort through that. We believe God speaks not just right through the band and the preacher, but every one of you, the priesthood of all believers, he may give you encouragement or a challenge for the church today. And we're going to sing. So go nuts. All right? Don't wait till worship night. So God, we love you. We thank you. Help us to believe the unbelievable. Amen.